There is an inescapable truth about sin. It provokes the terrible judgment of God. There was a season when it was just easy and we were getting what we wanted, we thought it was satisfying us, but then eventually it just, life just started getting hard and it's not satisfying. I'm more bound, I'm becoming more miserable. Yeah, so you just, things just start getting difficult. When God visits a person's sin and judgment, their lives begin to unravel. Frustration builds to misery, then gives way to despair, and often finally collapses into ruin. I got to a place where I had no more joy because all of my joy had been in sinful and worldly things. And when those things were being removed and stripped away, wow, I, I don't have any joy because my joy wasn't in the Lord. It was in all of these other things. And those things were no longer able to satisfy. But in chapter two of Hosea, an astonishing reality emerges. God's deepest desire, even in the midst of his judgment, is not to destroy sinners, but to use the pain of judgment to open a doorway into total restoration. Through all those difficulties and that misery, he began removing my desire for those things that I used to go after and giving me a desire to actually want to know him. That's what's coming up on this episode of Purity for Life. Here we go. Okay, so I've got Michael Wheaton in the studio. Michael, you are the senior administrator here at Pure Life, right? And you are also a biblical counselor mm -hmm. for Oka. For Oka, right? Um, so this is the third episode in our series of Firm Foundation. Mm -hmm. The first episode was with Pastor Steve, and he was looking at God's warning about sin mm -hmm. and the consequences if we don't heed His word, but also how God's word is given to us to guard our hearts, mm -hmm. you know? And if we hide his word in our hearts, it will protect us from just living a life of foolishness and sin. Mm -hmm. um, and then last episode, I talked with, who did I talk with? Ryan. Ryan Stempian, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right, and we talked about God's heart for sinners mm -hmm. from Matthew chapter nine and Luke 15. Mm -hmm. And just how, okay, people who have ignored God's word, mm -hmm. right? God has warned us, yep. said, don't do this. What about people who have ignored his warnings and done it anyway? What's God's heart toward them? Mm -hmm. And his heart toward them, as we saw, was just mercy, mm -hmm. like lavish mercy yeah. and love. And so in this episode, I thought what I'd like to do is look at a passage that shows how does God take someone who has ignored his warnings and has slid away from him, how does God actually bring them back to him? I mean, this is maybe the only way, but this is one passage that I thought just Man, it it's like God's method. Mm -hmm. We might call it something like the Lord reclaims an idolater. Mm -hmm. So that's what we want to go through in this passage. Can you just first, can we talk about the context of the, of the passage? Yeah. So um, during this time, Hosea is called to uh, prophesy to the northern kingdom, Israel. Uh, the kingdom's divided. Okay. Uh, yep. The northern's Israel, the southern's Judah. And... During this time, um, I mean, we see national apostasy in Israel. We see a lot of bloodshed and murder from kings um, assassinating other kings to take the throne. 
a lot of kings doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord, especially in Israel, almost all of them. In Judah, uh, most of them did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, except they would not uh, take down the high places where people were still burning incense and offering sacrifices. Mm. And then ultimately, we see them given over to their enemies, uh, Assyria, namely. And uh, this is also when God tore Israel from the house of David or said he was going to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we just see a lot of chaos, a lot of um, idolatry, Mm -hmm. um, apostasy, um, worshiping other gods. So yeah, it's a very dark climate. Right. And one thing I think is probably important to realize, though, is that it's not like this northern kingdom fully abandoned the worship of Yahweh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They still would have considered Yahweh to be their official god. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, they were also accumulating all of these other gods and worshiping them. So it was almost like... I mean, you can almost see it in some way the way things are in America. Mm -hmm. Most people probably, I would say the majority, if you ask them, are you a Christian, they say, yeah. Mm -hmm. But then what do their lives actually reflect? So it's probably a lot of similarities Mm -hmm. here. Um, Another interesting thing I'll just bring out, um, because obviously Hosea's name has significant meaning, especially as it pertains to what he was called to do. Um, His name means salvation, Mm. deliverance. It's from the same root as Joshua and Mm. Jesus. And his name in in this uh, commentary says his name is in marked contrast to his mission, uh, which is announcement of ruin, yet in harmony with his vocation and the object of his book to proclaim deliverance after judgment. Mm, yeah. So even his name carries with it significance pertaining to what God's calling him to do. And also, um, he prophesied for a long time. We don't really know how long his ministry was, but um, some commentators say it would have been at least 65 years, maybe wow. longer, hmm. um, but we don't really know. So, yeah, he was he was called to a very difficult ministry. Hmm. Um, so, yeah. yeah. One thing I thought about this morning was it's almost like Hosea was a living parable. Mm-hmm. His life was a parable mm-hmm. that was supposed to be seen by people, and there was a, a deep spiritual message behind his life. Mm -hmm. So I'll just go through a few things in chapter 1 before we get into Hosea chapter 2. Okay. Everything I read is from the ESV. What do you you read from? Uh, New King James Version. New King James. Okay, cool. So it says this in verse 2 of chapter 1, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the Lord commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So you've got this righteous man, this prophet, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he takes a faithless woman, mm-hmm. a prostitute, mm-hmm. basically. And so the union of these two people, faithful man, faithless woman, a, the union produces offspring. Mm-hmm. And the first offspring mm. is Jezreel, and that, that name is significant because it's announcing the fact that 
the kingdom of Israel is going to experience defeat in battle mm-hmm. because of previous sins. So it's like you've got this parable is God, right? Mm-hmm. He's Hosea is representing God. The harlot is representing Israel. And they come together and they have a union. And what's the union? The union is defeat. Mm. They have another child. Mm-hmm. And that daughter is called no mercy. Mm-hmm. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel. Then they have another child. And that child's name is not my people. Mm-hmm. For you are not my people and I am not your God. So it's, it's a parable. God is united with the children of Israel, and they have produced something together. Mm-hmm. Their relationship has produced something, but the, the offspring of mm-hmm. that relationship is defeat mm-hmm. and no mercy and alienation and separation, mm-hmm. right? And so mm-hmm. that was what was supposed to be seen as like, you would think that their relationship with God would do something very different. It's like, mm-hmm. come on, this is supposed to be peace and mm-hmm. prosperity and abundance mm-hmm. and significance, but instead what's happened is just this ruin. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that that's important that as we go through chapter 2, that that's who God is speaking to. He's speaking to a people, like you said, their kings are evil, they're Mm -hmm. worshiping other gods, all they're experiencing at this point is just defeat, Mm -hmm. no mercy, and separation from God. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's amazing though, like you could easily see God just saying, I'm done. It's over. Yeah, he should have. <laughs> yeah, like it's totally over. And yet he then starts to try to reclaim mm-hmm. his people. So let's maybe talk, let's dive into Hosea chapter 2. Yeah, and um, kind of going into this study, I was really looking to try and answer the question. You know, most of the time when I start studying a book, I don't necessarily have a preemptive question that drives my study. But looking at this one, just asking myself, okay, how do I see the Lord working to reclaim an idolater? Mm-hmm. Um, like what are the the things that I see him doing in their life to bring them back? And I think it's also important to understand, well, what is an idolater? Mm. And just some ways that God describes an idolater in Second Kings um, 17, 7 through 19, which again, this is kind of in context of the time of, of when Hosea is prophesying to Israel. You can see some of this in Second Kings 17. And hmm. just some things he uses there to describe an idolater. Uh, someone who serves and follows idols, worships and fears other gods, has no fear of the Lord, forgets the Lord their God, does not keep his commandments, breaks his covenant, and disobeys him. Mm. So just these are some characteristics of someone who is an idolater. So going into studying this chapter with that kind of forethought of, you know, what is God actively doing here? Um, I noted that there are seven things God initially does that we would maybe view in a negative light and then seven positive things that he does in the life of an idolater. Uh, But initially he brings them into judgment. You know, we see this right off the bat here in verse two of chapter two, it says, you know, bring charges against your mother, bring charges Hmm. for she is not my wife, nor am I her husband. Um, so he's he's bringing charges against them. Hmm. And these seven things that he initially does, verses 2 and 3, he's warning them. He's calling them to repentance. Verses 4 through 5, he confronts them with the truth. 
verses six through seven, he makes them miserable by making it very difficult for them to move forward in life. Um, it says he'll hedge up their way with thorns. Verses eight through nine, he begins removing some of his blessings from them. Uh, verse 10, he exposes their sin and idolatry. Uh, verses 11 and 12, he causes their joy to cease and takes away their prosperity and mm. abundance. And then in verse 13, he disciplines them for their idolatry. So these wow. are kind of seven negative views or things that God begins doing, or at least appear to be negative mm -hmm. um, from our viewpoint and and dealing with them. Yeah, so. I think I I think I would like to actually maybe look a little more carefully at each one of these mm -hmm. seven. Um, we don't have to spend a ton of time, but I think what you've done is basically you've helped people see that this is more than just a, um, more than just like a prophecy to a certain group of people mm -hmm. back, you know, 2,000 years, mm -hmm. well, this would be more like, what, 2,500 or 2,600 years ago, and... Oh, it has no relevance to us. It's a nice little story or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, just reading this, I think people could probably totally relate mm -hmm. to a lot of this stuff in their own life. So mm -hmm. I'd like to go through yeah. some of these and just and just highlight some of it. So he warns them and calls them to repentance. That's the first thing. Yeah, so in, in verse 2, I stopped kind of halfway through it. He says, Let her put away her harlotries from her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked. So there's kind of a warning there. And expose her as in the day she was born mm. and make her like a wilderness uh, and set her like a dry land mm. and slay her with thirst. So there's a warning there. Before that, he says, you know, let her put away her harlotries right. from her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. So there's mm. the kind of call to repentance. You know, put these things off, remove them from before you, and then the warning, or here's what, what I'm going to do. So we kind of see him starting off with a warning and a call to repentance there. And yeah, which which I think we could all relate to. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially if you've gone down the path of sin, mm -hmm. you can look back and see how there were people, maybe it was like a sermon or a friend saying, don't go this way. Mm -hmm. Like you're gonna, you're gonna reap consequences. Mm -hmm. And that, what, that was the Lord doing that through other people mm -hmm. for us. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, after, you know, pulling out these steps, I could see in my own life, there were times when I, you know, I grew up in church, so I would sit there and, and hear truth. And I remember times feeling God's conviction or a warning through a message, and I just kind of know, like, okay, like, I need to come into the light with this. But just my fear, my pride, not wanting to give up my sin, those were th ways that I hardened my heart and didn't mm -hmm. heed those calls. You know, I don't know what would happen if I had early on heeded. Maybe my life would look entirely different than it does now. But, um, yeah, so definite times when the Lord was doing that same thing in my life, but I didn't respond. Mm. And so we see then he kind of continues in verses four and five. So this is where, you know, I noted that he, he confronts them with the truth. He says, I will not have mercy on her children for they are children of harlotry. So he's telling them, this is, this is your condition. This is who you are. Um, their mother has played the harlot she who conceived them has behaved shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers 
who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. So he's telling them, this is the truth of your condition. Mm. You know, whatever, regardless of what you think, maybe you think you're serving me, but you're not. So yeah, there, there's a confrontation there. There's, there's the truth of the situation. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think that this, that verse in particular exposes what is at the heart of idolatry. Hmm. And I was just thinking about like a modern day idolater. What hmm. would that look like? Okay, because she's saying, I will go after my lovers mm-hmm. who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Yep. I think that those are significant. My bread and my water, that's what I need for life. Mm. My wool and my flax, that's like a covering. That's what they made clothes out of. Mm-hmm. So it's a covering, it's a protection. My oil and my drink is more like, I don't know if oil is indicating something that they use for healing or if it's oil and drink in the sense of like luxuries, pleasure, satisfaction, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So I think she's basically saying like, I'm going to pursue these things because Mm -hmm. they're what give me what I need for life. Mm -hmm. They're what protect me. They're what satisfy me. But in the meantime, right, like they're saying yeah, we belong to Yahweh, mm-hmm. but this is, she's going after her lovers. Mm-hmm. And I think the modern day version of that is probably somebody, they go to church, mm-hmm. they would consider themselves a Christian, but their real passion in life, mm-hmm. their real pursuit is something other than the Lord, and their real trust is something other than the Lord. Like yeah. the Lord, okay, yeah, I go to church on Sunday, and that's cool, but man, it's this mm-hmm. thing, you know, my relationship or my career or mm-hmm. my my possessions or my money, that's what I'm really pursuing. Yeah. That, I think, really strikes at the heart of idolatry. Yeah, and when I think in terms of something okay, maybe someone's listening and thinking, well, you know, I'm not like a super passionate person or whatever. Okay, well, maybe it's not this thing that I'm just like, oh man, but where where do I spend my time? What right. what do I spend my resources on? And I, you know, wanted to, to pull a couple things that actually Pastor Steve mentions uh, right in chapter one from At the Altar of Sexual Idolatry. Mm-hmm. Um, just a couple statements here he makes on the first page in uh, chapter one. Deeply embedded within the heart of man is a spiritual altar. Every human has the capacity, no, the need to worship. The objects of that worship are the things or persons which have taken the preeminent position of importance in the person's life. Skipping down a little bit, he says, unfortunately, in his fallen spiritual condition, man's natural Mm. tendency is to give that affection to something else. People prostrate themselves before all kinds of things in this earthly life, careers, homes, personal attractiveness, other people, food, entertainment, sports, et cetera. And I could add in there, you know, social media, Pinterest, you know, yeah. I want to, um, you know, I watch this remodeling show and I want my home to look like this. Yeah, or, right. You know, it can take whatever shape. Then he says, truth be known, most people have acquired several idols. Even churchgoers crowd God into a secondary or even non-existent position in their lives. Mm-hmm. Jesus rightly said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Mm. And it's really like, what you know? What am I giving my heart to? What are the things I like to think about throughout the day? What do I preoccupy my time with? When, 
when I don't have a bunch of things to do, what do I want to do in my spare time? Right. Do am I like, oh man, I want to like spend time with the Lord, yeah, or do things that are going to draw me closer to Him, uh-huh. or is it just, oh, I'm just going to like kind of fill my time with whatever? I mean, those are things that if we get honest with ourselves, like, wow, this is what it says to me is like, God's more boring than this thing. <laughs> You know, like this is more enjoyable. Yeah. And yeah, so I think it, it, this passage really is applicable to us today. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't maybe look the same. Um, so it's harder to, to spot these things. But yeah, I mean, the Lord's mm. the Lord's calling us into, um, he wants to have that place in our lives. Yeah. And, and we're just going to continue to see that as we look through this. Okay. Yeah, so then the third step. <clears throat> Yeah, so um, this is verses six through seven here, where he makes it, you know, them miserable, making it very difficult for them. And he says, uh, "Therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns and wall her in, so that she cannot find her paths. She will chase her lovers, but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them, but not find them. Mm-hmm. Then she will say, 'I will go and return to my first husband.'" For then it was better for me than now. So, yeah, I mean, he's making, it was easy at first for for Israel to find what they loved, and it was just easy, and, and we can all relate to that with our sin. I mean, there, yep. there was a season when it was just easy, and we were getting what we wanted, we thought it was satisfying us, but then eventually it just, life just started getting hard, and it's not satisfying. I'm more bound, I'm becoming more miserable, um, I'm starting to experience difficulties in this area of my life now. In this area of my life now, I'm, there's a lot of confusion. There's just, yeah, so you just, things just start getting difficult. And I know when, when that was happening in my life, I didn't readily see that, oh, this is the Lord trying to get my attention. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, yeah. wow, I'm miserable. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the way it, it hits most people. But here we can see that this is the Lord doing this. He's right. trying to get our attention. Yeah, he's um, actively opposing us. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk more about like why he's doing mm-hmm. it, but that's the point. Yeah. He is actively opposing us in our sin yep. and saying, I am not going to make it easy on you to get what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so then uh, verses 8 through 9, we see him beginning to remove some of his blessings from them. Mm. Uh, It says, For she did not know that I gave her grain, new wine, and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Therefore, I will return and take away my grain in Mm. its time, and my new wine in its season, and will take back my wool and my linen, given to cover her nakedness. Mm. So... We get now we see those things that were blessings to them that they were saying, Oh, my my idols are doing this for me. Now it's like, no, anything good that you've been experiencing, it's like I'm removing that. I'm taking yeah. back these blessings in your life. That's yeah, so good. Like I think about people who <clears throat> I've heard heard it said a lot. I mean, this is a sexual sin ministry, so we can talk mostly about sexual sin, but I've heard a lot of people talk about Oh, I I go to porn because it medicates Mm -hmm. my pain, right? It makes me feel better. It's Mm -hmm. a stress reliever or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. You've gone after these things because you're saying they give me my satisfaction, my protection, Mm -hmm. my covering, right? And 
And then God says, you didn't know that it was I. Like, I'm the one who was covering you. I'm the one who was trying to satisfy you. Mm -hmm. And so because you did that, mm -hmm. I'm going to take away even what you thought you had. Mm -hmm. And so now this thing that like we thought was going to be a help to us is just perpetuating our misery and our pain. Mm -hmm. And just another point I think that's valid or worthwhile saying is that I know that people talk about like, oh, I'm just medicating pain. Well, that's idolatry. Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't make it like, it's, oh, it's not like I hate God and love evil. Mm -hmm. I'm just medicating pain. Okay, that's fine. And that's what God says, that is idolatry. Yeah. To turn to those things yeah. for that is yeah. idolatry. Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be pornography. You know, mm, it's like... Mm -hmm. Even, okay, being in ministry now for a number of years, it's like the Lord has begun to make it more and more clear to me that, okay, maybe I don't turn to those things, but I go to reading to distract myself or mm -hmm. I go to listen to music to distract myself rather than just going straight to him in prayer and saying, Lord, here's what I'm struggling with. Like, I need you. It's like you can turn to good things as a way to medicate, but it's idolatry because it's mm. something that's taking the place of God in our lives. Yeah. So even though maybe we're following the Lord now for um, a number of years, we're living in victory over sexual sin. I know some of our graduates listen to this, but it doesn't mean that there's no more idolatry in our mm. lives. Mm. It's, it's anything that, okay, I should be going to God with this and I'm going to something else. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. It can easily become that for anything, even mm -hmm. when, when they're good things. Um, so, yeah, and, and then after he begins removing some of his blessings from them, he exposes their sin and idolatry. Verse 10, he says, Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall deliver her from my hand. So he's uncovering them. He's exposing yeah. their nakedness. He's exposing the sin and the idolatry. Hmm. And then uh, verses 11 through 12 we see that um, he causes their joy to cease and takes away their prosperity and abundance. Mm -hmm. So again, he says, I will also cause all her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, all her appointed feasts, which are representative of joy, things that bring joy or gladness. Mm. And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, of which she has said, these are my wages that my lovers have given me, so I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them." Mm. So speaking again of their abundance, their prosperity. Mm. Um, yeah, I wonder too about some of these things, feasts, new moons, Sabbaths, appointed feasts, you know, what that maybe would look like for us. Like maybe at the beginning of this slide away from God, there was still some joy in church, mm -hmm. you know, we would gather together with people who really loved him, and there was there was some joy, some fellowship, some enjoyment there. The further and further we get away, even when we go into the house of God, mm -hmm. it's like there's nothing there. Mm -hmm. It's just misery. It's it's dead. It's lifeless because he's taken away that experience. Yeah, and even like for my own life, I I just jotted this down. I got to a place where I had no more joy because all of my joy had been in sinful and worldly things. And when those things were being removed and stripped away, wow, I, 
I don't have any joy. Yeah. Because <laughs> my joy wasn't in the Lord. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was in all of these other things. So I definitely experienced that. Um, and those things were no longer able to satisfy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then last thing he does here that we see in verse 13 is he disciplines them for their idolatry. He says, I will punish her. And I think that word punish can also mean visit. Um, mm. I will punish her for the days of the bottles, however you say that word, <laughs> to which she burned incense. She decked herself with her earrings and her jewelry mm. and went after her lovers. But me, she forgot, says the Lord. And I think wow. that is key because I, mm. I don't feel like that's just kind of a last thing the Lord's mentioning. It's, it's all of these things ultimately were because they forgot me. And right. that I feel like is out of all of these, the greatest sin was forgetting God. Mm. Yeah, I think that what you just did there was really helpful because it really connects everything to our own experience at some level. Some Everyone can probably relate to at least some of this. Mm-hmm. One thing I think that we have to understand though, and this is why the Bible is so important, because the Bible gives us God's perspective mm-hmm. on life, right? It lets us go behind the veil to see mm-hmm. reality. Mm-hmm. So now what we're, the first thing we've, we're being able to see is that the trouble in our lives, if we're living in sin, mm-hmm. the trouble in our lives is God's work. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily he's causing it, but he is allowing it for a purpose, and it is to do exactly what you said, to warn us, to expose us, to confront us, to make us miserable. That is his work mm-hmm. in our lives. This is not incidental, or it's, mm-hmm. not, it's not just a, a coincidence. God mm-hmm. is allowing it. He's trying to get a message across. Mm-hmm. But now we're going to talk about what is in his heart Mm-hmm. with all that, because you could easily read this and look at your life and say, okay, God hates me. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's the answer. God hates me. He doesn't want anything to do with me. But we misread God if we don't take the whole thing into consideration, mm-hmm. and that's what we're going to talk about now. You've got seven things that really reveal the depths of his heart. Well, and I think this is really important. You kind of just touched on this. If we don't understand this, it's easy to interpret all of these things happening in our lives and then all of a sudden take on a victim mentality. Mm. And we see Israel even did that when the Lord brought them into the wilderness. It's like, oh, as he brought us out here to, you know, that we're just going to die, we're going to starve of food. And all of a sudden it's like we're victims. Mm. And I even did that in my own life. You know, it's like things are getting difficult. Oh, woe is me. But yet I've just been living in horrible sin, just offending the Lord not caring about him, um, just making light of everything he'd done for me, despising his word in the sense of just not taking it seriously, not caring at all, just neglecting um, all of these things. And so if we don't understand, and this is why it has to bring the truth to us and and do this, because like if we don't understand that, oh, this is because of my sin, mm. then it's easy to just get into that victim mentality and expect the Lord to just feel sorry for me and don't you care? And it's like, well, he does care. That's why he's been trying to get my attention. Right. Um, And so this transition that kind of takes place here going into verse 14. So uh, those first seven steps, I kind of sum that up as God bringing them into judgment. 
And then these next seven steps is kind of the restoration hmm. process, how God begins really restoring them once he's got our attention. Right. And that's the whole point here is wake up. I'm trying to get your attention, not hmm. to condemn you, not because I'm done with you, but because I'm done letting you go your own way. And that is God's mercy stepping in. And we see here... Hmm. The first thing he does now is he brings them into a desolate place, or wild, which is you know wilderness. He draws them to himself to comfort them, and that sounds kind of contradictory. He's like he's totally. bringing me into this <laughs> desolate wilderness in order to comfort me. And I'll just read what he says here in verse fourteen. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness, and speak comfort to her. Mm. And this can look very different. This may just be, you know, a spiritual wilderness that the Lord brings us into. I think it's definitely and primarily that kind of connotation. But also, I know that when the Lord brought me to Pure Life Ministries, it was a literal, like, he pulled me out of my environment and put me in a real wilderness season and, and even removed me from all of, you know, yeah. my... You don't have your friends, you don't have your family, you don't have your comforts, all the stuff you used to turn to, nothing. Yeah, so it was very much a spiritual and a physical <laughs> wilderness. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, I mean, we see we see him doing that in verse 14, and then in verse 15, he uses their trouble to give them hope and restore the joy of their salvation. Mm. And I'll kind of pull this out here. In verse 15, he says, I will give her her vineyards from there, and the valley of Achor is a door of hope. She mm. shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. So the valley of Achor is also, can be called the valley of trouble. And this is referring mm. back to Achan's sin and his family where they were stoned. Um, mm. And so that, that place of trouble, because of our sin, the Lord said, this is where I'm gonna use that trouble as a door of hope. Um, and then he says, she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up from the land of Egypt. And I really see this as God restoring the joy of their salvation, that, uh, that initial deliverance, pulling them out of the world, pulling them out of their bondage. Right. We see that happen in David's life in Psalm 51. He's crying out, he's saying, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Yeah, I, I think that probably now would be a good time to talk about the fact that God is revealing his ways mm -hmm. to us in mm -hmm. this passage, right? And so when you talk about God uses trouble mm -hmm. as a doorway into hope, mm -hmm. that is what he does, mm -hmm. right? Like he, this is not just an isolated experience. Oh, he did it with them. Mm -hmm. This is for us. If, if we're experiencing trouble because of our sin, then that experience can become a doorway into hope. Yes. And that's God's will. Yes. Right? For it to be that. Yes. And it's not like, well, God can, as soon as God fixes all my circumstances, then I can have hope. Mm -mm. It's right in the middle of all this. I will make the valley of trouble a door of hope. Mm -hmm. So it's like, man, right in this moment, where we're experiencing all this devastation and desolation and just the wilderness and stuff, mm -hmm. that will become somehow, right in the middle of that, a doorway will open and you're in hope. Yeah, it's amazing because all of these previous seven steps that we looked at, 
it kind of brings you to a place where you feel hopeless. Mm. It's like at that time, okay, all these things have been removed. There's no more joy. Things have gotten really difficult in life. Um, I'm now in a wilderness. I don't have anything familiar, anything comfortable. I feel completely hopeless. It's like, okay, everything I thought was good is gone. Um, And that's the very place that God's like, okay, now finally you can actually have hope because before when you thought you had hope, you didn't. Oh, wow. You know, it's like you're trusting in all these things that can't do anything for you. They can't save you. They can't comfort you. They can't provide for you what you really need, which is a much more hopeless condition. Even, you know, in the New Testament, it says at that time when we were without God, without hope. So whether we felt like, oh, I'm pretty happy, life's good. If we were without God, we did not have hope. Mm. And so God is like, I'm bringing all these things into your life because I want to give you real hope. Um, And we know that that's in a person, that's Jesus. He is our hope. It's awesome. and yeah, it's just, it's amazing because like you said, without the word of God, I would be so lost because I would not understand what God's trying to do in my life. And right. that's where the word has helped me tremendously with my faith because now when things are difficult or things are hard in my life or I'm going through trials, whether it's the result of sin or not, I can look at God's word and go, okay, well, I can stand on this or I can see that God... I know that your heart is this and your intention is this, even though this is what things look like right now or feel like right now. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful that I don't have to rely on what I'm feeling or just looking at my circumstances and trying to lean on my own understanding and figure out what's going on. It's like your word says that this is what you do in this place that I'm in or what you're able to do or what your heart is towards me, even though my feelings are telling me this, the enemy's telling me this, my circumstances are telling me this. And this is kind of the whole point why we're we're doing this. It's like without the word of God, I would not have come through this restorative process. Mm-hmm. It's like I would have just ended up in the wilderness and been left there. Mm. And yeah, and and looking back at the children of Israel, who were the ones who came through the wilderness into the promises of God? It's those who have faith, mm-hmm. right? And th- so there is a very clear like. I think we should probably say that, mm. that this process is not necessarily inevitable. Right. Like not That's everybody right. ends up going through that doorway of hope because some That's people true. stop at this place and say, God hates me, he's mm-hmm. done with me, then fine, I'm done with him. Yeah. And That's you don't true. go through the doorway of hope, but those who see his heart because of, you know, like they they believe that mm-hmm. there's something that even though I'm experiencing all of this, like there's something in the heart of God mm-hmm. that is for me, yes. they begin to experience this. So yeah, it's exactly what you're saying. And obviously like that's a process. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it takes a if long you're, time. Because if you are an idolater, then you don't understand his heart. Mm-mm. But he's inviting us to return to him. And that's what this whole thing was about, was I'm bringing you back to me. Mm-hmm. Not bringing you back to a, the good life. Right. <laughs> Bring no. you back to me, yeah. I'm glad you said that too because I didn't realize any of this process was happening in my life until after the Lord did it. Mm. And it's since then that I can look and go, wow, the Lord did all of these things in my life. He's faithful. Mm. He did exactly what he says he will do. 
And um, you know, it was in that place that when I when I came to Pure Life, that was during the season when I was at this stage of being in the wilderness. I was in a desolate place. I was full of fear. I was full of anxiety. Full of unbelief. I felt hopeless. I felt like I I'm at the place where I couldn't function in life anymore. And this was the first time, though, I remember my brother mentioning to me, you know, have you thought about going to Pure Life? And and in that moment, it was like there was hope. Hmm. It's like maybe God can do something. I just, nothing else is is helping. Where I'm at right now, I'm just going to end up in a psych ward and, and just yeah. go insane. Um, but there was just a sense of hope. And then when I arrived at Pure Life, all of a sudden there was just like peace. Like, okay, like God's presence is here. And that just gave me hope, like, okay, I don't know how the Lord's going to do anything. You know, this has been my experience for the last couple of years, which has been miserable. It's been dark. But there was just, like, somehow the the Lord, I believe, is going to do something. We're going to see what the Lord is wanting to do now. And and I can kind of go a little further into my testimony there. But um, right after that, in verse 16, he begins revealing his heart to them. Mm. So... And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. So we see God's heart is, okay, I said before, you know, say to her, she's not my wife. I'm not her husband. But his heart is, but I want you to be my wife. I want to be your husband. That's still available. Mm -hmm. Even though you've done all these horrible things and I've had to bring all of these difficulties into your life, it's not to condemn you. It's... I want you to be in right relationship with me. I want you to understand my heart. And we, we see God beginning to reveal that here. And that's what he, he did for me um, in the program was he began revealing to me that he wanted to have mercy on me Yeah. because I'm sitting here thinking like, I'm condemned, there's no hope, like I'm the most horrible person. Like I, I can look at all these reasons why, and even scriptures, it's like, I'm condemned. What hope is there? And then God began revealing to me that he wanted to have mercy on me. Mm-hmm. Someone in my condition, like, I'm finally aware of my need for God's mercy. Um, before, it's like, I didn't even know I needed it. Yeah. And now I'm like, if God didn't have mercy on me, I have no hope. Like, there's there's no other option. And so the Lord began revealing his heart to me that, no, despite all of these things you see in your life, I want to have mercy on you. And yeah. that just gave me so much hope and faith that like, okay, the Lord can do something in my life. He can change me. And then in verse 17, we see here, he removes their idols from them and their desire for their idols. Mm. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. For I will take from her mouth the names of the bottles and they shall be remembered by their name no more. So from their mouth, and, and I... You know, think, okay, in Scripture it says that the Lord um, satisfies the desire of every, you know, living thing. He he opens their mouths and, and feeds them. Hmm. And it's like, okay, not even just like the name of their idols and, and the memory of them, but also even the desire for them, the, that, you know, hunger for them, that yeah. longing for them. It's like I'm now that I have you away and in this place, I want to remove those things from you. Yeah, and I, I know that that's what the Lord, the Lord began doing for me. He, through all those difficulties and that misery, He began removing my desire for those things that I used to go after, and giving me a desire to actually want to know Him. 
And so we see him doing that here with um, Israel. And yeah, which is which is so important because before you know, as God's bringing the judgment, like you said, she's just blindly going after her mm-hmm. idols, mm-hmm. right? And because because of her pursuit, she's bringing all kinds of pain upon herself. Mm-hmm. Where it says, "I'll hedge up her way with thorns mm-hmm. and build a wall against her." so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue, mm-hmm. but shall not overtake. Mm-hmm. So it's like he's God's doing all this stuff, and even though it's causing her all kinds of pain, I mean, think about just like pushing a, yeah. your way through a patch of, you know, thorns. Mm-hmm. You come out all bloody and, and cut up in the end, mm-hmm. and she just, but she's still like set mm-hmm. on these idols, and God is saying like, I'm going to get rid of, I'm going to remove at some level, you know, we still have a fallen mm-hmm. flesh, but I'm going to remove that stubborn pursuit yeah, exactly. of, of idols Yes, and bring, bring her into peace. That's amazing. Yeah, and I think kind of the way that happens, like, you know, yes, we still have a flesh, so there may be that pull at times. I think it's important to understand that. It's like, but that there's something there now where it's like, no, I... I don't want that. I know mm. that doesn't satisfy. Mm. It's like you can just see the end of it, whereas before you didn't realize till afterwards, man, this doesn't satisfy me. Why do I keep doing this? Right. But now it's like you feel that and you're like, no. And then, and then it's like, I don't want to hurt the Lord. He's been satisfying me. I know that he mm. satisfies. I know he's good. I know he's merciful. And it's like, I know what his heart is. And so then there's this power, this grace to like, no, I'm going to go to the Lord. Hmm. Even though maybe I feel like I want this, it's like, I'm not falling for it this time. I'm done with that. Like, hmm. there's just that power, that stubborn, like, I'm going to do this. Right. Like you said, it's like the Lord's removed that. That's awesome. And yep. it's, it's awesome. awesome. Yeah, it is. In verses uh, 18 through 20, he renews his covenant with them and restores them to a right knowledge of God. Um, In that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air, uh, with the creeping things of the ground, bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. Hmm. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Wow. Um, and yeah, so we, we just see the Lord doing that. It's like, okay, you, you haven't known me. Yeah. And now I'm revealing my heart to you and beginning this process of restoration, and you're going to know me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I th- remember too, in this, I think we need to remember this. In the Old Testament, one of the ways that God worked primarily was he used physical things Mm -hmm. to uh, make spiritual lessons. Mm -hmm. So when he's saying here, I'll make a covenant with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the creeping things of the ground, he's basically saying like all of these things that were causing you pain and problem, Mm -hmm. all the things I was using to chasten you, now I'm going to speak to these things Mm -hmm. and bring peace. Right, because the you don't need the chastisement anymore. You've you've come back to me. Right. So, and I think the Lord does that too. Like 
as we come back into a right relationship with him, the things he was using to discipline us, he's like, all right, peace. Yeah. But yeah. not for us to then forget him all over again and right. just pursue our idols, <laughs> you know, and that's the whole point. Like, and yeah. you will know the Lord. Yes. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting there because kind of back to this condition that Israel was in, um, and it, it kind of is summed up in Hosea 4, 1 and 2, before, you know, the Lord began bringing them into judgment. He said, Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Mm. And so now we, we see that, okay, he's, he's restoring the truth. He's restoring them to mercy. He's restoring the knowledge of God because there was none of that. Yeah. And, and so we see him. This is what he's what he's doing. Mm. And then verses 21 through 22, he begins to answer and bless them again. He says here, It shall come to pass in that day that I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. The earth shall answer with grain, with new wine, mm. and with oil. They shall answer Jezreel. Then I will sow her for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy, then I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people, and mm. they shall say, you are my God. So we see him restoring blessings in verses 21, 22, answering yep. them again. And I know that that was true in my own life. You know, there it's like you're crying out, you're crying out, and like the Lord's not answering you. Mm. And he's saying now that now that you're in right, you have a right knowledge of me now, you're seeing my heart, you're beginning to respond to me you're going to cry out, you're going to call to me, and I'm going to answer. I'm going to begin restoring blessing to your life. And it may not, again, it may. it's not just all physical blessings and, oh, all my circumstances are going right. well now, so right. uh, that just is proof of God's favor in my life. But it's like, no, it's like now I can, you're going to find satisfaction in me. You're going to find mm. joy in me. Um, those kind of spiritual things that were taken away that the yeah. Lord caused to cease. Whereas before, you know, I was getting joy in my sin and pleasure from this and pleasure from that. That was all taken away. Mm. And now I'm finding those things in the Lord, mm. which is his intention. Mm. Um, and we see him doing that. And then lastly, here in verse 23, he has mercy on them and restores them to a right relationship mm. with himself. And that's God's heart the whole time. And he has that in view when he starts bringing them into judgment and he starts calling them to repentance and warning them and confronting them and doing all those things. He has in mind right relationship with me, mercy, restoration, peace, joy, satisfaction in me. And that's even how he ends the Bible in Revelation 21 3. You know, same thing. Like, I will be your God and you will be my people. Mm -hmm. Like that ultimate fulfillment. Whereas we're we're separated from him in the garden because of our sin, rebellion, and the culmination, the very end, it's it's that you're gonna be my people. You're gonna know me. You're gonna understand my ways and who I am, and mm -hmm. we're gonna be in right relationship. And so we just see him doing that all throughout and in this chapter. Yeah. As you were reading that, it just occurred to me that he's basically prophesying a total reversal of everything that's taken place, mm -hmm. right? Because in the beginning, 
um, call his name Jezreel. Why? Because I'm going to defeat Israel mm-hmm. in the valley of Jezreel. And then you have a, a daughter, call her name No Mercy, mm-hmm. and then have another uh, son and call his name Not My People. Mm-hmm. And at the very end there, it just says, they will answer Jezreel, and I'll sow her for myself in the land. I'll have mercy mm-hmm. on No Mercy. Yep. And I will say to Not My People, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. So now this union between God and his people is not producing this life of defeat and no mercy and and alienation. It's like he's restored everything. Mm-hmm. The whole relationship and the offspring, the production, like it's what God wants. And I mean, I would say too, I think we should understand that that this restoration is a process. Mm-hmm. Right? Like as soon as you begin really repenting and as soon as you begin coming back to him and responding to his voice, letting him deal with you where you're at, there's total acceptance, mm-hmm. right? The, the separation is gone, and yet it will take time for all of this to play out. And I yeah. think that really a lot of this is sort of like a prophecy or that's only going to totally take place mm-hmm. in heaven. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm glad you said that because it is a process. This has taken a long time, and God's still doing these things in my life. It's like he's still restoring my knowledge of him and and revealing his heart to me. And it just, and it takes a lot of time because when you first start reading the Bible, it's like you don't just see those things very easily. It's like it took a long time for me to begin you know, seeing, wow, God's merciful. He's, he is so good. Look at all these things. It's like, yeah, he's bringing all these hard things into my life, but it's only in order to do this. Right. And it's like, but that just didn't happen overnight. I didn't just like wake up one morning and see all of that in his word. It's just being in the word day in, day out, day in, and reminding myself, no, this is what God's like. Because a lot of the time, when you wake up in the morning, if you're not in the word of God, mm. circumstances, feelings, temptations, trials that come, the enemy's voice, you know, the spirit of the... It's like everything's coming against this knowledge of God. And staying in the Word of God is the only way to combat those things because I I can't just live off of like, well, I studied Hosea 2 like, you know, three months ago, and so I know that this is what God does, and I'm just good to go. And I was like... I'm going to forget that right? because my circumstances, my feelings and things are going to happen in my life that are going to tell me that that's not the truth. And so I need something that I can anchor my faith in and say, no, this is true. And then when I'm in it, I can see like, oh, yeah, God's doing this in my life. He's He's done this in my life. And it just really increases my faith yeah. and, and gives me grace and strength to just keep going. Yep. And that's it. That's the whole point of this series, you know, as we close. That's the whole point of this series is the Word of God is a foundation that you can build your life on. Mm-hmm. And it is the revelation of God, and it's it's a living Word for us that we can use to... It creates something inside of us that is strong. Like, yeah. whereas in the past, we're just blown around by every mm-hmm. feeling, every every circumstance, Mm -hmm. everything that somebody said. I'm just all over the place. But as we get into the Word of God, it creates a strength inside of us that's not us. Mm -mm. It's Him. It's it's Him. It's the Mm -hmm. knowledge of God, but it is solid. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what we want to just keep encouraging people to do. If you don't have a life in the Word of God, look at your life mm-hmm. because there's probably a lot of instability. Mm-hmm. There's probably a lot of insecurity. There's probably a lot of trouble and difficulty. And get in the Word of God for mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. So thank you so much, Michael. This was awesome. Um, just yeah. for those who are listening, in our next episode, we're going to be looking at Psalm 51 as a way to show, like, this is what God does. Now we want to look at our response. How do we begin to respond to his work in our life? So, cool. Thanks very much. You're welcome, yeah. All right, that's it for this episode. Hey, listen, if this series has inspired you to get serious about studying the Bible, we would love to hear from you. You can send your questions, comments, or otherwise to purityforlife at purelifeministries.org. And also, if you want some really practical stuff to equip you on this journey of studying the Bible, check out the bonus content for this episode, because Michael and I had a brief conversation about what tools and methods he uses to study the Bible, and we think that that'll be some really good help for you. And lastly, next week, we'll be taking a brief break from this series, and we're going to have a conversation about a biography called A Chance to Die, which looks at the life of missionary Amy Carmichael. But in two episodes, we'll be back with Firm Foundation series, and we're going to be studying King David's iconic psalm of repentance, Psalm 51. So we look forward to diving into it with you. God bless. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.